When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hey, welcome to Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us the Podcaster Essentials Kit. The kit comes with a Lira mic and an amazing set of headphones. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the best way to do it. Our guest today is John San Juan. He's the guitarist for Hush Drops. The band was preparing their third album when they suffered the unexpected passing of the drummer Joe Camarillo. John talks about how he spent the next few months drinking until one day he decided the best tribute to Joe would be to finish the album. And it's a really great story of how they were able to use drum tracks by Joe to actually finish the album. But we actually started off talking about his childhood obsession with music and how a punishment from his parents would actually be for him to not be allowed to sing his own songs. He was playing heavy metal covers when he realized he wanted to actually play like Neil Young, and that's how Hush Traps found their sound. But their name is a completely different story. So follow the band at Hush Traps on social media, buy the new album, The Static, wherever you get new music, give us a follow at Performance ANX on social media, and you can help support the show at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Merchandise is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. And since I was caught in traffic when we recorded this, we now join the conversation with John San Juan of Hush Drops, already in progress on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Oh, well, fair enough. I, I'll, I'll make haste here. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Hey, everybody. This is John San Juan from the Hush Raps, and you are listening to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. <sighs> what an evening. <laughs> so you got, well, you're home safe. That's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to start with the positives, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun, I hope. It will be for oh, me anyway. Oh, I. <laughs> yeah, I've got, you know, I've got the got the bedroom to myself. Uh, this is all, all good. Yeah. All right. So I have been listening to the stuff you sent over, and oh my gosh, man, I'm loving it. Oh, hey, all right. Holy, it's fantastic. It's it's so cool. It's like I love the way you described it as what was it uh, the Who doing bread? Oh. Right, right, yeah. I'm thinking more Crazy Horse doing bread. But... Well, that's a compliment of the highest order, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here for Crazy Horse, uh, yeah. I love, anything Neil is great, but Crazy Horse is particularly. Yeah, um, Neil is a yeah, huge hero of mine, and um, yeah, there was actually a song on the record that is coming out in an well coming out in november um that uh it was so just had that kind of on the verge of falling apart quality <laughs> that i sort of i know that i had when i was talking to just sending songs to the label in advance of putting the deal together yeah. i had used crazy crazy horse as a signifier but uh yeah that's uh yeah anything neil and Certainly, Neil with Crazy Horse. Well, if you don't mind foul language and sophomoric humor, there's a podcast you need to check out. Oh, I'm all. You, <laughs> these are my uh, my keywords. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's on the same network that I'm on. Uh, it's called Long May You Young, and oh, it is hilarious. And what they do is they go through every Neil Young album chronologically, and it's. It's hilarious. They're brutally honest about their opinions on it. So, oh yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm here for this. All right. So when you get to uh, like the '80s deal with landing on water and all, ooh. yeah. Oh, I mean that's a. Uh... <laughs> that's that's a difficult uh, difficult time to be a Neil fan for sure. It yeah. is. What got you into music? Was were you? into it as a kid were you taking music lessons was there a lot playing in the house well you know i think that period where i was a you know was a little kid you know the early 70s the early to mid 70s it was just like you know generally a kid my age your parents were hippies they had records had lots of records music was always playing so uh you know, I was I had, I had, a, had a favorable reaction to it, and I remember being kindergarten age and getting up, you know, getting up hours before anyone else in the house on weekends and putting on the headphones. And I specifically remember pulling out things that looked interesting, like the Sgt. Pepper album looked interesting, Revolver looked interesting, yeah, and uh, like being perfectly content to have hours of headphone time so yeah it's it's like a moth to a flame kind of thing and you know so that so that was a whole you know grade school was just 
going through work. I don't know. Just, just going through all of this. I mean, then was already kind of outdated music, but in its way was so evergreen because I think that the nostalgia for it was very instant uh, okay. among, you know, um, people who had lived through it the first time. And I don't know if you remember the ambience at that time was all had to do with like, you know, Beatles reunions and this hopeful Lorne Michaels with the novelty size check and all of that. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, so they were a great introduction because they had such a, they had, you know, they had such, such a varied and extensive catalog that, you know, it's a birthdays and Christmas and you just get these records out of sequence and yeah, you couldn't even really put the puzzle together. It's just like, well, these, I don't know what these, what this next record's going to sound like that I get by them. <laughs> Um, this one, they've got animal masks on the cover and, um, you know, and revolution number nine. And, um, so from there into, you know, just branching out into things like the who and, you know, one of the doors of Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. And I think, yeah, so I just was a really avid enjoyer of music and, drew pictures of it. And anyway, one of the things I did when I was probably five or six is I remembered that I had gotten punished for some infraction. And the punishment was that I couldn't go around making up songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid you not. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, and I, I considered this a real, uh, you know, violation of my, uh, my civil rights. <laughs> So I guess all of the evidence was there that, uh, you know, so by the time I, I got, it was my 11th birthday, I got a guitar from my parents and just started playing and with no real end game in mind, not like, you know, well, I'm going to start a band or I'm going to do this or do that. It was a real sort of fumbling towards just kind of blindly fumbling towards something. Okay. But fumbling in that direction for sure. Um, <laughs> and my big fantasy, I remember walking to school in fifth grade, and this is the extent of my ambition was uh, something about playing day tripper in the school auditorium. Like, that's just like, that's going to, you know, <laughs> that's when I will have made it big, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be your career highlight right yeah to me that was you know i guess because I, I couldn't picture madison square garden yeah you know? <laughs> when you're 11 you know yeah right you know and that, that's uh so yeah and then so that just extended out into obviously to get into middle school and junior high and high school you getting into all these more contemporary things and eventually, you know, making some efforts to play with people, but not really realizing that whatever abilities I had or interest I had was, Oh, you could translate this into a creative life or, you know, cause I, hear, I know really? people. Yeah. I know people who, you know, have, very different origin stories where, yeah, you know, I picked up a guitar and, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with it. And, um, yeah, this was a real, uh, sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> 
at what point did you think that, well, maybe this is something that I, I could do for, as a career. I could make a living in music. Well, um, I came up to Chicago and what would have been my senior year, I had, I had dropped out and came up here and was starting college pending um, a GED. And somehow that just, that change of location, suddenly I was in through friends of friends with people that were in bands. And next thing I knew, I was in someone's band. And I liked it, you know. Yeah. I like, I yeah, I liked the the collaborative process. I liked performing on stage, and uh, you know, I think a lot of performers will tell you that you know, once you get a taste of it, you're uh, you're hooked, you know. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. So yeah, um, so I yeah, I was up here in my first couple of years of college playing in a band with these two brothers, and I was just really just playing guitar and. I hadn't given a single thought to the actual, like, you know, you could sit down and write a song someday. Um, it wasn't even that it seemed remote. It just didn't even cross my mind. It was just like, well, no, I pick up the guitar and I play it. And, and here we are. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> at some point, yeah, that, that band, uh, when that band split up, I think, you know, and I wasn't even 20 yet. There was this, this sense of, well, you know, I got to do something. And, um, and from there came those first, like, sort of stabs at songwriting. And somehow, and hearing the Buzzcocks, who I had bought, I bought Singles Going Steady, because it looked like something that I might enjoy, and I think it was discounted. And <laughs> That's always a bonus. Just... All those, yeah, all those, like, just hearing all of those um, great Pete Shelley songs, something in it woke me up, like, oh, there's this, the song is what you're responding to here, and, you know, there's, I could kind of see what was in it to some extent, or what I believed was in it, and what was making it tick, okay. and so, yeah, then then there's the writing, you know. <laughs> You've worked with a lot of people uh, in, in your own bands and with other bands like Material Issue, uh, Liam Hayes, Josh Caterer, like we were talking about before, the Webb Brothers. Was that, were you working with those bands as a, as a player or producing or engineering? Um, always as a player. Okay. Um, and that was not, you know... Um, and that was not until a little bit later, because um, I had sort of, well, not, yeah, I had started the Hush Drops, which was, I mean, a fairly modest undertaking in its initial incarnation. And then it sort of whittled away to me meeting a guy named Joe Camarillo, who um, we started playing together and... It's just, it's, 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 you know, the, the, the sort of response that we got from people changed and just my enjoyment of it. It was just, it just the character of the music developed in a way that was really positive. Yeah. And, and almost like that, to some extent, 
may have been, you know, some of those gigs like the Web Brothers and material issue and things that were, you know, many, many, many of them forged in friendship. I think that the Hush Raps may have sort of been the demo reel for that in terms of like, okay, well, well, you know, this guy looks like he can do what we want musically. Okay, so the Hush Drops came f- before all of that stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm trying to it get... May, it I may have enabled it, yeah. How did you guys come up with the name Hush Drops? Oh, God. And um, that, I remember, was making a list, a very lengthy list of potential band names. And if you can believe it, every one of which was worse than Hush Drops. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I I hate to talk down my own, my own brand here, but um, I mean, that was, that was a name that was chosen by default. Like, all right, well, like we can all live with this name. It was a real, we can live with it. I can live with it. But, you know, obviously as you go on in your life under a brand name, it takes on its own meaning and connotations. Yeah. How did you meet Joe in the first place? And then, because the first album was basically just you and Joe, right? You're, I, I think you're, yeah. you're starting to talk about that a little bit, but. Oh, yeah. Um, so we had, he, we had had a whole bunch of mutual friends without ever meeting each other. I'd gone to see a friend's band play and Joe's band was the other band on the bill. And he was up on stage singing and holding a baseball bat, um, which, <laughs> I think, you know, and he was a big guy. And I think that was sort of, you know, his kind of soft hearted lampooning of like the sort of macho side of hardcore and punk rock. So yeah, it was just, somebody did the initial like, Oh, well, you know, you, you should, you should meet my friend, Joe, you guys should play together. And I think said it to both of us. And then, that became like, and then a lot of other people joined in when once the sort of like, so you know, Joe, right? What's he like? Oh yeah. You guys should play together. And I think both of us heard it from enough people that, well, well, okay, we'll at least talk on the phone. And, And the first time we talked on the phone, it was like just having all of the same humor references and just all of this stuff about the Ruddles and Cheech and Chong and all of these things. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at the time when liking the Beach Boys was kind of a niche thing, you know, and probably the their most unfashionable point, you know, if you met someone who was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm down with Brian, that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. So the first album, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. It had a whole lot of different sounds to it, a lot of different, uh, it had a bit of the of rawness. I mean, you've got the song Summer People, which I also I saw that the Webb Brothers did that as well. Together. Now 
you that first or did the Webb brothers do that first? We recorded it first. And, yeah, we recorded and released it first. And then they yeah did a version of it. Yeah. Okay. But you've got strings on the on the album like I, I like air chocolate so much that's, oh that's well that's so cool. that's that's joe yeah and then um, you got these awesome like lounge sounds with dr v and song for a rained out ball game which is one of my favorites on that album i mean it's got this like oh thanks man it's almost got this like like space needle sound but with a little more gravel in the voice and some sound effects right into like sludge pop with Miami rap. I mean, it's just so many sounds on that album. Did you guys know what you wanted to do when you were making the album? I had a, I had an idea that whatever we did, cause we, you know, we'd been playing together for a while at that point before we like, okay, well look, we're making and putting out an album here. Um, so had the backlog of material, had new songs and I had an idea just based on, based on the white album, I think where you didn't know what was coming next. And I was like, well, that's going to, you know, that's the goal. That's a, that's a goal we can have so that, there isn't necessarily okay. Well, we got the guitar sound for the album, and here they are. Um, yeah, which can be a perfectly valid way to live. Um, and there's a lot of things I like like that. But um, yeah, I thought there was just a. I just felt like yeah, well, we'll make a bigger splash, bigger impression with a kind of doing a rangy sort of record. Well, it's really cool because you also have these small. I don't even want to say vignettes because they're actual songs. Like, but they're the little, the smaller instrument, shorter, I guess, better word, instrumentals like Cold Harbor Lane. I mean, it's just, they're really cool. Like little interstitial bits in between some of the other songs. You know, I mean, Cold Harbor Lane kind of echoes a little bit of Dr. V. And then you've got some other singing. Who's the female? uh, Oh, there's a few on that first record. uh, My friend, Carolyn, Carolyn Engelman, who also did the string arrangements. Um, So she's one of the female voices. And see, Elizabeth Elmore is another. And um, a friend of ours, Laura Catter. So there were three female voices. And I had a lot of things, a lot of things that I liked at the time, like Stereo Lab and Broadcast and the Cardigans. Oh, yeah, Broadcast. My own, and my, yeah, my own way of hearing music was, uh, well, there's there's going to be a woman singing at some point, and since I'm not capable of producing that sound, you know. But the band was just you and Joe at that point, technically. I mean, now were you playing just as a duo, or did you have bass players come in when you're playing live? Well, we we always had um, some version of the band. You know, we went through so many. You know, honestly, during probably what were our most marketable youthful years we went through 
one bass player. I mean, it was a Spinal Tap situation. Oh, wow. um, it was one bass player after another, and you know, it was just never the. It was never the band, it, and. I, but at that point, my feeling about making a record was like, well, you know, I can play bass and, you know, between the two of us, we can play whatever needs to, whatever it takes to make a record. Yeah. So, yeah, that, uh, and that, right, that, that particular, I know, because I, I kind of always felt like, even though it was from the CD era, what, what we would call side two of that album um, always seemed sort of like the easy listening side or the adult <laughs> contemporary side. Yeah. So then there was a 10-year gap between Volume 1, the first album, and then the second album, Tomorrow. Right. What? Were you guys still playing? I mean, were you, were you doing this full-time, or were you? was that when you started working with Material Issue and the other bands? Well, I had... Um, I did the Material Issue tour in... 94 so sort of well in advance of that but during that time i think both joe and i you know during the time between the two albums specifically um you know high straps well actually our friend jim shapiro joined then and uh our our bass player to this very day yeah so that you know that was when we sort of found the band and as for why we weren't more actively recording and putting out records in it that's hard to reconstruct that but uh yeah it's a while ago now yeah no uh right it's everything is uh (laughs) but uh you know certainly both joe and i at that time you know were taking up you know doing other things on the side as well and he he with uh the waco brothers and oh god a number of things and um Right, playing with Liam Hayes and people okay. like that. The second album, it has a different sound to it. It's a lot more raw. And it's, okay, so you've you got a couple things going here. It's, it's the sounds, I mean, it still sounds like the Hush Drops, but it's a, little, it's a little more raw. It's the sophomore album. It's a double album, and it was recorded in mono. I think you guys were just trying to shoot yourselves in the foot. Oh, I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we were certainly our own paymasters for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I know that. Uh, so we had done volume one and, you know, we're very proud of it. And anyways, it's sort of gone on, our, you know, just existing as a, uh, you know, as a live band for, for many years after. And Joe, one night, we're out drinking and he says I don't know what segued into this but he sort of said you know well I think the next album I think we should try to capture our live sound and you know you, you I, I couldn't say no to that because yeah I thought we had something pretty special on stage and that's a more attractive option than like I don't know let's go make volume two man yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's really a an incredible sound. I mean, you've got this like wild mix of beautiful harmonies, but like the searing guitars, like take your places. For example, it's, it's my favorite on that album. It's it's got all of that. And it's just amazing. It's, it's got, it's like beach. I'm going to, I'm not going to say bread. I'm going to go beach boys, harmonies, beat crazy horse guitar. It's just wild. 
it's a double album of a lot of that. It's incredible. Oh God. Um, yeah, I guess that was, you know, and again, just being the type of the types of players we were. And I guess also like having a real love of these sort of softer sounds, you know, a lot of seventies AM gold and, uh, yeah, just cause you know, yeah. Right. Beach boys, things like that. Um, you know, sort of what came out of it was like, a, you know, a heavy band playing, you know, I guess, yeah, whatever major seventh chords and, <laughs> you know, um, big, uh, Rundgren harmonies. Um, yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's right. I mean, and then you've also got the shorter little things like the earth is flat, you know, these, these great instrumental pieces that go on as well. And I, I love the, the instrumentals that you guys do. They're so expressive. They're just, there's it's like I said, it's, it's like a concentration of whatever band you're, you're I, I, I'm not saying this the way I want it to come out. It's like if, uh, you you're distilling crazy horse or I don't want to say bread because that's not, <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> maybe maybe the who you know it's just it's you're fitting a lot of of great stuff into these shorter little instrumentals and that, I, I think it's really it's an incredible talent because a lot of people can't do that in you know a, a fifteen minute jam so it's it's a really great stuff. Oh, that's a compliment of the highest order. I think, uh, you know, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, by the time we started recording, by the time we started recording tomorrow, we were all in our forties and, you know, your goals are different. You know, I think there's, you know, a sense in your early twenties that, you know, Oh God, you know, we could get on MTV and, you know, I mean, just use a, there's are different goals and there's a certain point we realize like, well, whatever it is that's driving us to make music at this point is, uh, just live. There's no commercial concerns in there. Right. Right. Um, if you've sort of gracefully accepted your cult, uh, your cult status, you know, it could be very freeing <laughs> artistically. <laughs> And Jim just fits right in. Jim Shapiro from from Veruca Salt. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he is was and is periodically uh, their drummer. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I want to take a minute and talk about our sponsor Tiesta Tea. Tiesta is a tea company on a mission to create loose leaf tea beverages with premium ingredients that taste good and do good. Each tea is blended for one of five categories, so you can energize, slenderize, boost antioxidants, boost immunity, and relax. My current favorite is Blueberry Wild Chow. You know, when I was growing up, my dad always told me, once you go loose, you never go bagged. And you know what? He was right. Go to tiestatea.com and use the promo code ANXIETY15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. Think you know tea? You haven't tried Tiesta tea. The sound doesn't sound like it, it changed all that much. It's, 
he just kind of fit right in. So it's it's it sounds like it was a natural progression. Does, does he do? Or, it was and is the songwriting mainly on one person, or is it collaborative? The songwriting, you know, and both of them, both of them have written songs. Both of them are quite capable. But I think, you know, not to speak for them, but I think for, as I see it, their idea in this band was, well, okay, so John's writing the songs, and uh, I think Jim contributed one song to the double album, and as did Joe, and Joe's got a couple things on the first one, but I think generally their feeling was, no, you know, he'll write them, we'll play them. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, it worked for me. I was I was happy to, you know, and I don't know how that works in a band, you know, like, yeah, I've talked to Josh Caterer about this, about, you know, and his sort of telling of it was like, well, I just kept writing songs. And so it's, it's just a matter of, it's like, you know, I don't know. Do you have children? Yeah, I have three teenagers. Oh, man. I've... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you're a hero, man. 16, gotta, 17, and 18. I got, wow. Oh, yeah, I got 12 and 16 over here, two boys. Oh, boy. And you know, one of the things is that, you know, if a kid doesn't, you know, if you're, if you are taking care of the laundry or the dishes or whatever, a kid doesn't think like, oh, no, man, I, I got it. I gotta step it up. Like yeah. typically, a kid will think, "This is great," you know, the system works. <laughs> this is and, how it is. This is, this is what mom and, and dad so, do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so for for me to consistently bring in songs, I think that may have been a thing. Like, well, all right, so no need to. <laughs> all right, so he's on it. You yeah, know? it's like someone doing all the driving or something. Yeah, well, I mean, you're bringing in a lot of stuff. It's good stuff it's quality songwriting so you know it's why rock the boat no and you know and it meant, meant a lot to me um for them to you know i mean sort of tacitly vote with their feet like that you yeah. know for the material and that but the band i mean so you know it's one thing to sit on the edge of a bed with a guitar and you know chase a melody and have written a song but and, you know, the thing that makes it magic is a band that uh, turns it into just through their force of musical personality, turns it into something far beyond what you could have ever envisioned. Yeah. Envisioned. And that happened a lot. You know, I feel like most of our, from any era, most of our songs you know, that guy could play it for you on a guitar and, you know, like, oh, that's just a cool song. I, I know that song. Um, but the, what the band does and what the two of them specifically consistently did was just enlarge it in a way that, yeah. Yeah, so and anybody else playing those songs, it wouldn't sound like Hush Drops. Right, yeah. So then after Tomorrow, you guys... I guess took a little break and you, you put out a solo album. I did. Yeah. We did a, a bit of touring, um, after tomorrow. And again, you know, very perverse why we waited until we were all in our forties to go <laughs> to start touring. I, I can't really answer that. Um, uh, <laughs> but there we were. And, 
you know, a lot, I think there were certain, there were just a lot of, like in a family or something, there were a lot of conflicts that, you know, festered in the band and enough baggage that a year after the record come out and we'd done the touring and it was at a point where I was, I had a bunch of new songs and, you know, it's whatever. There were a lot of things that made me think we're just not functioning right and we're not really looking out for each other's best interests. We're not, you know, we're not working in harmony. So yeah, I went off and made a solo record. And from what I've heard of it, I haven't been able to hear the whole thing, but it sounds a little softer. It doesn't sound like it's like crazy horse going nuts. And I think that's that's the band, you know, that is the difference between, because I, I, you know, and, and I had this idea, like, well, now that I'm, you know, now that I've emancipated myself, you know, I can go in the studio with a drummer and play all the other instruments and be the boss and you're never really the boss, I guess is another thing that I love. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm barely my own boss at the best of times. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, lacking that sort of the personality of the band and the chemistry of the band, it really does come off as a far gentler thing and with a completely different energy. Nobody said you I ultimately, I wish a lot of those songs, you know, it's not a regret that will kill me, but I feel like I wish that the Hush Drops had, um, had recorded those songs. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was a few years of just, you know, being out there by myself and we had gotten together to do a Halloween show. I had gotten booked for a Halloween show and the people that were playing with me were unable to do it. And, 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 and the three of us in Hush Drops, you know, we all, we'd all sort of start, started talking again and things were really friendly and just had this idea, like, how about if we tell the people at the club that we're going to be, you know, I don't know, Eddie money or something. And, and we show up and play the album Bandwagon-esque by Teenage Fan Club, unbilled and unadvertised, oh, and also oh. people not even knowing that House Raps are going to perform together. Yeah. Um, so it was just—it was one of those things. It's so stealth that nobody knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of perfect in a way. I love it. That is awesome. How soon after that did you guys get back to? Uh wanting to do an album that was the crucial first move for sure um i feel like within a year of that we were um within a year of that we were playing together again uh regularly and that had started with joe and i going in to record just the two of us before i really you know because there was a certain you know there's something about getting the band back together that's like you know do we all, does everybody really want to do this? Um, 
you know, what pitfalls do you believe you can avoid a second time around? You right. know, it's like a married couple, you know, remarrying or something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it honestly, it probably took longer than it should have. Um, but just, you know, middle-aged caution all around, I guess. And I remembered when we did the teenage fan club thing, that first rehearsal, because I think we had three rehearsals for it. We're just, all right, everybody, you know, we all know the album. Um, and the first downbeat where we were all in, I just remember like all of us looking at each other, like, Oh my God, like, wow. Do you, you, you feel that? Like, that's a thing. Huh? <laughs> did you guys didn't happen to record that? Did you, the, the show with, where you did the whole album? No, no. Um, you know, Man, <laughs> no, that that, that, awesome. so much of our life, our musical life is ephemeral, you yeah. know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I will tell you the 20 people who were there were very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, um, it was another thing that sort of was a big step to us putting the rings back on, I guess, yeah. was uh, that there was a gig where I had been asked to play and again, sort of, you know, the thing that I was doing with some other friends of mine was, it was just, it was petering out. And to be honest, I probably should have maybe, uh, you know, I kind of let it peter out rather than sort of saying, well, Hey everybody, look, let's, yeah. you know, nice working with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it's some, sometimes that's easier said than done, you know? Yeah. Um, so we, it was again, another thing where, you know, and Joe was like, I think Jim and I would like, you know, should play with you for this thing. I don't know if he had discussed it with Jim, but, you know, I said, yeah, <laughs> that'd volunteering, be Jim. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> he volunteered. I, mean, I think the, <laughs> these may be the people we are ultimately. <laughs> um, so, uh, so again, just, you know, having that experience of, um, you know, playing together and like, okay, well, look, seriously, this is, I, I don't really care what it costs us on some personal level. Like, this is the thing. Yeah. And what rationale do we have for not doing the thing? Exactly. And fortunate, fortunately, um, I had a lot of, uh, you know, I, I had just written a bunch of new songs and being back together had sort of, fired me up because like well i'm writing for my band you know i know this is another thing that um uh josh caterer has talked about with the with smoking popes that uh you know have just having that that sound behind you like makes you want to write songs yeah so yeah so we were we were gigging again and it's like well we've got all these songs we better record them and yeah, so we did the the last yeah full band session that we did. I think we went into there's a place here called Electrical Audio, and we went into Studio B there, um, the cheaper room, and that's why I chose it, um, <laughs> and why, why it has become my room of choice, yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps in perpetuity. Um, <laughs> we. Uh, <laughs> But whatever, it's also it's it's a hey, it's, it's working a, for you. It's working, yeah. No, the workflow is there is incredible. Um, and uh, so we, yeah, we cut. We're just like okay, so these are the ten songs that we're going to record, and you know, to have gone in and spent a day, you know, rec and getting ten songs 
in one day just felt like, oh, this this seems unusually productive for anyone by anyone's standards. You know, I, I as a student of Neil Young, I don't even know if he did ten songs in a day. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and if anyone was going to, you know, yeah, it's going to be him. <laughs> um, how far along? I, I I know you know. Unfortunately, Joe passed away. Right. How far yeah. along in the process were you guys when that happened? Well, we had um, we had a lot of songs recorded by the end of uh, 2019, and we were rehearsing another batch of songs that we were going to go in and record in the spring of 2020, and. You know that yeah. was a that was a hard spring for everybody. Yeah, um, and uh, so, that we were going to yeah. do this in the spring of 2020. Yeah. Oh God, I, you couldn't make it up. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah. So you know, just whatever. Suddenly, we're all in our homes for a year, and just you know, talking via messenger, and still talking about the record, and what we're going to do with it. Um, and, um, you know, everyone fully expecting that, uh, well, we'll get back on it when we get back on it. And that didn't happen. And, uh, yeah, Joe passed away in January and I'm so sorry. Oh, oh thanks man. Um, that was a, oh, it was like, he was freezing cold up here. So I just, it was a weird kind of, you know, if you wanted to be sad, you know, having somebody pass away in the in the middle of a pandemic when oh. it's zero outside, um, Man. you know, that there's an ambience there for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, I just kind of got drunk every night for a couple months, and you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't do didn't do too much, yeah. and. <laughs> And at some point realized, you know, oh, this music, this music is pretty cool. And how better to tell the world, like, check out my dude, check out our friend, than to uh, finish this record and release it into the world. Yeah. And so the trouble was there were a couple of, you know, load-bearing tracks or you know what i thought songs that were easily the equal of any other song and maybe even some of our strongest that we had not gotten around to recording uh, the three of us and so and i'm thinking about this and there's a couple of them that i had pretty good demos of and then i had remembered we had done this show right when we got back together we did a show I mean, I think this will set the scene. We did a show in a brewery. And so, you know, we show up whatever time you show up, load in and, okay, so, uh, you know, just put a marker on your wrist. You can uh, just keep going up and drink beer all night. It's on us. Nice. And, you know, so we got loose, yeah. you know, we got very loose <laughs> and, uh, you know, played this show. And it was a great show, you know, for all of its uh, – for all of its blemishes, for all of its man-made blemishes, it just, <laughs> it had so much spirit. And then the next day I find out, oh, hey, you know, so, you know, this guy recorded your show and, uh, wow. 
No, and uh, at the time it was like, well, you know, that's cool. That's that's great. You know, we, we didn't know we were being recorded, which is a nice thing. The sort of a Watergate kind of ambience. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, as my, you know, a few months after Joe died, as my head's starting to clear, I'm like, I had to find out if that guy still, if the guy still has his recordings. And so I reached out to uh, the guy who recorded it. His name's Mike. And just mentioned, is there any chance, you know, you, you probably wouldn't still have this. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. And uh, wow. so I went through and there were, yeah, the two of those tracks are on our, uh, our next album, The Static. And so you've got, obviously, Jim and I had the luxury of sweetening up our contributions to the extent that they required it. But yeah, the basic skeleton of it is, you know, and, and certainly Joe's parts are all brewery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there, yeah, it's, you know, we got a couple songs that were recorded in a brewery when we would have probably not agreed to being recorded, right. um, and, but thankful that we were. That's amazing. A couple questions about that. So first of all, the album's called The Static. There's a song called The Static. <laughs> as the title well you know i i admire the person the pete townsend the roger waters the the conceptual artist i admire them i've never had the sort of you know i'm gonna do a long form i'm gonna do zen arcade um just never really worked that way but i've noticed that if you write sort of an album, the bulk of an album's worth of songs during a specific period in time, generally there will be themes that keep coming up. Yeah. And like, I don't know, whatever the album XO by Elliot Smith might mean to a person, right. you know, I don't know if it's a concept album, but it has a consistent sort of thematic ambience to yeah. me. And I noticed that a lot of what was on the static that one of the themes that I kept seeing in it, hearing in it was just the inner sort of interpersonal communication and all of the things that kind of jam the wires and the difficulty people have understanding each other or listening to each other. And I mean, that extends to all sorts of things. Just, you know, if you see, I mean, we're online these days and there's, there's just people deliberately making bad faith arguments and, yeah. you know, what the, the bot farms and, and the whole, <laughs> all of it, you know. So I just feel like we live in this, you know, time where, you know, that particular dilemma of, you know, people just really discrediting each other or not wishing to listen to each other is at its, it's just at its at a peak, you know? So 
it was just like, okay, so this, you know, I'm seeing that this is all in a lot of the songs, um, and never in any sort of heavy-handed way, but it's a theme that's there. Um, so that was how that ended up as the sort of, t- that's what ended up tying it together. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love how you start off with Monday and Psychic, uh, psychic Space. I'm satisfied the earth will shift tomorrow Just like it did today and yesterday The house next door seems closer than I know it used to be That's an awesome. Story. That's a brewery jam. Oh, is it? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I I love. You've got a couple. Like I've I've mentioned this before throughout this whole episode, but you've got these great instrumentals, like the Lummox. That is so cool. Oh. oh, thanks. Yeah. And I, I gotta know, is there a story? Because most people wouldn't title an instrumental Jennifer's Grandpa. <laughs> You do oh, contractually. Oh goodness. Okay. So <laughs> um there are people we know, one of whom is a you know, single mother, divorced single mother with a child and oh god, he she she had she had company one evening. Okay. And the kid wakes up and you know, said, "Who's that man?" Is that Jennifer's grandpa? (laughs) (laughs) And presumably referring to my wife, Jennifer, and the idea that, you know, for some reason, my wife's grandpa would be, would A, be alive and, you know, B, B, you know, over over at their place in the middle of the night. Yeah. (laughs) So it was just one of those things like, wow, that's a... That's a title. Yeah. A really evocative, uh, you know. Oh, my gosh. I love it even more now that I know this backstory. So had you not asked, I, I would have never mentioned it, but uh, I, it, I I couldn't, yeah. you know, couldn't leave you hanging. Yeah. Well, and you've got some great people on the top, too, like Nora O'Connor. I love Nora oh, O'Connor. She's, she's the best. She was awesome. I, was, I had flat five on a while back. Oh, right on. So yeah. She was awesome. They heard her, Kelly and Casey on all the same time. So that was a blast. Oh, those are those are my people, man. Yeah. They, yeah. They were so awesome. So I'm so glad when when I get a chance to have somebody else on who's kind of related to the podcast at this point now. So Oh no, I like the familial quality here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And uh John Perrin, who I play with in Josh Caterer's band, he uh he finished up a couple of my demos that are on the record and uh just 
really, really exceptional talent. Because yeah. um, I just sent him like, well, here's my demo with the drums muted. And he sends me back his first take, which is just him like looking at the waveform and then jumping in when it looks like it's time. <laughs> uh, just so you're just really getting this like, and he sent me these more polished, like uh, more arranged performances. I'm like, no, I want the first take. There's, there's a lot of, you're just taking more chances there and it's just a little wilder. Oh, that um, is so cool. So it, you know, it really lives in the spirit of, you know, things Joe Camarillo would have played. You know? That is awesome. And I love how it ends with I Had a Room. You've, it's another one of those songs with the uh, long jammy solo at the end. It's the crazy horse comes back. cool i love i love your guitar playing i I love when you just go off and then play i love the feedback i love the just crazy distortions i just oh it it's hitting me right right in the heart i love it well it's interesting because i really you know i mean i went through a phase in my teen years where you know and all of these things that i still love like led zeppelin and ozzy and um Oh God, Iron Maiden, whatever, oh, a lot of Van Halen, all of this stuff Maiden. with very accomplished playing. And I would, you know, would learn all of this stuff, learn all these solos and had developed a certain, I don't know what I thought I was going to do with all of these other people's songs, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I developed this particular skill set. And at some point when I started making my own music, I was already like, well, no, that's not what I'm looking for. And the sort of more Neil Young, is he going to make it kind of like might bend the note a little too much that that's all that always seemed to be like, okay, now we're really playing music. Whenever that happens. Early Mark Farner. Yes. Yes. Oh God. It, 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 it really can go off the rails at any minute. Yeah. It's a wonderful unhinged thing playing um, so loose and that's what i love about it I, I you definitely sound loose and in the best way like in a crazy horse early uh grand funk railroad way it's I, I, that's the kind of stuff that i love well and it seems like in a band if somebody any one of the players i mean it's at least the kind of band that hush ups are that you go out if somebody goes out on a limb intentional or not it's kind of like goosing the other players and they're like okay well that's what we're doing now i'm crazy too you know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, so yeah i had a room is uh i feel like i mean and potentially one of the criteria for us deciding okay well this is the take of the song was uh that it had so much of that like okay well we could just listen to this forever and still enjoy the um you know the swerviness of it so what's the uh, what is the plan with the album and and supporting it and and getting it out to people and and do you have plans for playing in the future and what's what are you thinking at this point? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, I think we should. You know, it just seems like if you put out a record, part of the part of the gig is uh, going out and playing. And you know, initially, it was something I didn't even want to think about. Oh, um, but you know, we played we played last night. Actually, there was a you know because we decided back in the winter, like, okay, look, everyone's gonna everyone's gonna get vaccinated and. Uh, weather's going to get nice. Let's do something. Let's do a celebration. Let's do something sort of positive to honor Joe instead of freezing in the parking lot of the, you know, funeral home. Um, and something, and he'd played with so many people that, you know, Oh, and there's so many musicians that would want to just get together and play and, you know, celebrate the man. Um, so we, Hush Ups did perform at that last night and a friend of ours, old friend of ours came in from Brooklyn and played drums with us. And it, so the thing that that did apart from, I think giving a lot of people a, you know, necessary catharsis was uh, it gave us now the precedent of, okay, we can play this music and uh, celebrate this music and enjoy it. And so I'm, I'm very open to the idea of, finding a way to do that going forward and you know it's, it's a lot to think about it's yeah. you know when obviously this happens a lot with bands and i was probably a lot more cynical about it when i was younger like you know what say someone like gene simmons rationale might be for going back out on tour again yes. like we've got a mummified ace fraley and yeah. you know <laughs> but uh you know um now that this is all kind of very real you know the i can't necessarily imagine a scenario where okay guys if i die don't play music no more so yeah i i guess jim and i will actually have to have this conversation soon and the record's coming out really soon um so yeah yeah, I'm, i'm hoping that he's into it and well, I hope so too. So yeah, you're 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 catching <laughs> you're you're catching me at a real. Um, here's here's the plan, and I've told you first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, perhaps I could volunteer him Joe Camarillo style. They, like, see, you know, there you go. You get yeah. voluntold. <laughs> it's a thing, isn't it? It is. Oh yeah. Ask my kids. I get voluntold. They they volunteer me everything. Oh man, the la- I mean, I don't, and I don't know, like, but man, all the last minute stuff, like, yes. okay, like, we're all getting dressed and about to go out the door for our day, and oh yeah, so I need, you know, I need you to build me a robot for, you yes. know, <laughs> <laughs> or give me a hundred bucks. Oh, One or oh the other. all of it, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have, I either have to get this project done or pay money so I don't have to do th- something. Oh sure, yeah. Right here, um, <laughs> you obviously don't have time to go out and do your project. Here's the money. So. Oh um, yeah, no, no, getting voluntold. Yeah, um, it's 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 our life now. Yeah. Oh, it is. And my all three of them were in high school at the same time, but my oldest is in a freshman in college right now, so it's two. But they're all in marching band. So. Oh, excellent. So I had three times the commitments. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and man band instruments are you know i know um 
this is this has been a, a mantra from parents my whole life like oh yeah see what happens if you have to deal with band instruments oh yeah i mean we my oldest plays the trumpet we bought that but my uh middle my my, my oldest is i have two girls and a son in the middle uh my son plays the tuba which i am not buying because i could not afford the cheapest of tubas and then my youngest plays the French horn, but fortunately she's now a drum, one of the drum majors, so she's not playing that right now. Oh, gosh. Okay. can't so afford right, that I, either. Oh, no, I understand that there's a lot of, that <laughs> most parents are operating on a sort of rental basis with band instruments, right? Oh, yeah. Which doesn't necessarily sound like an easy, you know, you know, that that's still a, that's still a commitment. It yeah. is, it is. And well, actually, what we did, we, we, paid for this trumpet but the my son and my youngest are using the school's instruments we had to buy their own their mouthpiece that's so that was the only investment on that so that but the trumpet was the cheapest of all the instruments so <laughs> that worked out well for us so because she still plays in community band but so she gets to take her her trumpet with her but you know this was the day i found out that tubas were uh more the most expensive of the in the brass family oh, yeah it's like fifteen grand or something. It's just something disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Oh man! I mean, if that had been my instrument, yeah. my, my my parents would not have bought me a tuba for my my eleventh birthday. I know that. <laughs> no, I didn't buy my son a tuba for any of his birthdays. It would have been like from eleven to thirty. Oh no! I think you'd really have to, you know. Okay, this guy's like the you know Hendrix of the tuba, you know. Yeah. Um, he would have which, to make a living. Which, which, which he may be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he would have to make a living on the tuba somehow. Oh god. Oh, I don't know how. I don't. I don't know if there's any professional tuba tuba tubaists. I don't know. But anyway, well, I've I've really enjoyed spending so much time with you man i've kept you for yeah. over an hour at this point thank you so much i really do love the album it is so good i love the older stuff i'm so glad i've got a chance to to listen to almost all of it because i didn't get a chance to hear all your solo album yet but i'm gonna go and listen to it no you'll get stuck in traffic again soon and, oh, and, I, and i'll be there yeah <laughs> well this has been an epic hang the, no, thanks so much for yeah, having me here today. I, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 